the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What makes Rose Cleaners the best in dry cleaning? They do my laundry the way I like it. The wonderful customer service. Personal quality. I have some things I like done with my clothes that I ask for, and it's always done. They do good work. I just love Rose Cleaners. Very excellent customer service, and uh, they've made me very happy since I've been here. They've got friendly employees when you walk in, and um, they haven't lost any of my clothes in 19 years. Rose Cleaners, serving San Antonio for over 20 years. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Hi, I'm Eric Galindo Training Director for the FSI Training School For individuals and businesses we offer certification courses in CPR and First Aid through the American Heart Association and also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible, have fun, and win valuable prizes and resources for yourself, your family, your church, or favorite ministry. Here's how it works. Listen to the Bible Live Scripture Reading Program. Weeknights at 8. Not a program about the Bible, the Bible itself. Hear a 15 to 20 minute reading each weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Then on Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the past week's Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. All right, we are here in the house. Thank you for joining us. This is the Soapster, and my good friend Jacob is across the table. He turned me off. Ready to talk about the book, 
the great book of books, the Bible itself. Uh, in our reading schedule, we're going to stick with it. I'm, that's my story, and I'm sticking with it, as they say. We are this week focusing on the book, well, the oldest book, the oldest book. And when, Every time I say that, Jacob, people, um, I'm not sure how they take it. Uh, in what sense is the book of Job the oldest book? It's uh, the oldest written book. Okay. so It's it like would, you may watch a movie from the 1950s, mm-hmm. and they made it in the 1950s. But you can watch a movie made this year, and they may be talking about the cowboy shows in the 1800s. So Genesis is just a book that recorded the beginnings, but it was written after the book of Job. So Job is actually the oldest written book in, contained in the Bible. And, of course, all of the books were existed before they were actually written down, they existed as oral tradition, right? They were passed Well, no, orally. that's a popular position of a lot of folks. What do you think? What is it a popular What do position? I think you ask? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that... Yes, I did. I, I think that Moses, when he went uh, with everybody to between two and a half and three million people at Mount Sinai, that's a lot of folks. Uh-huh. Um, I think when he got all that, he learned the entire story. And then, as they traveled through the desert, he wrote from Genesis to uh, to the end of Deuteronomy. That's what I think. Well, what, where did Job get written down? Oh, Job was actually a written uh, transcript that did exist. Before Moses? Be, actually, before Mount Sinai, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, so Job, uh, and the Jewish tradition... Uh-huh. The book had already been written. Well, let me be Moses f- may have had yeah. a copy, or well, is that the idea? Yeah, let me be fair about this, okay? Prepare uh, yourself for my fairness. By fair, do you mean mediocre? or? <laughs> no. no, I mean beautiful. Um, <laughs> um, actually, so what I'm talking about is um, it uh, certainly, some scholars think that Moses wrote the book of Job. Some people think that there never was a real Job, that he's a symbolic person to teach lessons about. Some people think different things. Uh, We really do not know exactly who wrote the book of Job, but it does appear somebody did. Now, the... (laughs) Somebody did, yeah. So here is the answer, though. Maybe the Tyndall House... Job appears from all the Jewish scholarship that I'm aware of, um, appears to be... Written at the time of Abraham. So, because uh, there are the names in here and some of the other people, his so-called three friends, you know, with three friends like them, who needs enemies, right? Right. So, those guys are actually people that existed roughly in that time category. Not at the birth, but perhaps, you know, deep into Abraham's life. Because uh, actually one of the guys, Eliphaz, is known as one of the sons of Esau. So we know that, and so from that scholarship, we can determine roughly the time. And there's a word referred to in their Timan, which uh, was an area of the world that, uh, after a period of time, was no, no, no longer referenced. But it was referenced at the time of Abraham, so they know that it had to be in that, that epoch of time. Epoch. <laughs> epoch. Okay, in that era. Okay. Epoch. All right. I get you. Yeah. I have here in the um, in this particular commentary it says that 
the authorship is unknown, mm-hmm. but there is linguistic evidence to suggest the author was an Israelite who lived long after Job, written to the nation of Israel, um, which I don't know how that number. Then it also says, although the book is set during the era of the patriarchs, uh, Abraham and his immediate descendants, Various linguistic features of the book suggest that it was written late, written later. If it was written as late as the period of national distress following the evasion by Babylon, it may have been intended as a defense of God in light of Israel's suffering, which kind of goes in, in a little bit in connection with what you were telling me before the uh, program, that it might be even prophetic in a sense. Of, oh, you're a rascal. I thought uh, we weren't going to bring that up. Anticipating the, the suffering yeah. uh, of, uh, you know, the people of Israel. Uh, the land of Uz, uh, Uz, was east Uz. of the Jordan River, oh. extending toward Edom. And what does, that, what does that mean, by the way? By the way, that's a great commentary, and there's lots of scholars that would uh, think that. I would not really be comfortable accepting all that, but uh-huh, that's okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's all right. Um, but I will tell you, Uz, U-Z, actually is a word for uh, an old uh, word for uh, the, um, way back where Abraham came from uh, that meant like boiling pot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Today that land would be over in uh, sort of like up where the Kurds or North Ira- Iran might be. And to and there's a, I've actually met a gentleman from Iran, and he lived in a city because they still have the, a, a city with that name, that territory, and it still means the definition of boiling pot. And I just I, I, I met him a few years ago. Uh, is a reference to the climate? <laughs> is that the uh, idea? No, it had to, I, I think it had to, I do with it was idolatry and sin. There's a great, great story. There's something called in Jewish literature called Midrash, not necessarily historic, but it mm-hmm. uses historic principles mm-hmm. and fills in the blanks. And uh, basically that uh, supposedly Abraham uh, lived at this time and uh, he knew, determined that there was only one God, a real God, and that the gods of Persia were not gods at all. In fact, supposedly his father made his living making idols. And then one day he picked up a baseball bat and broke all the idols and put the like the bat or the club into the great big god's hand. His dad came on and said, hey, what happened to all my idols that I sell? And uh, Abraham supposedly said, well, uh, the guy, the big guy in the corner with the club, he broke them all. He got mad because he was the only god. <laughs> and, uh, and, the guy, and his father supposedly says, well, gee whiz. That's impossible because you all know I make these things. They can't move or talk or speak or anything. And Abraham said, aha, I knew it. You don't even, you know yourself this is not true. Well, how about that? Yeah. That's a nice story. Uh-huh. Well, they teach that to all the Jewish kids. Uh-huh. Well, I was just, it occurred to me that since ooze means boiling pot in America is spoken of as a boiling pot, right? We're the, aren't we a, a stew pot? Melting. Melting? Oh, uh, well, boiling, melting. Melting pot. Come on. Uh, <laughs> melting pot. Okay, forget it. I was just in a, just, I don't know, playing but, with but the But at any rate, the... the uh, <laughs> You're the, right, melting pot. The academia that I'm familiar with that I kind of subscribe to, and I think for me it seems to be more accurate, is that if Job was a real person, that he existed about the time of Abraham. 
And since you already brought up the idea of prophecy, that's one thing I know that's not talked about very much, but there is a way of reading the book of Job that's prophecy. Now, I personally tend to subscribe to it as shocking as it may be. But uh, anyway, but some great lines. Like, for example, may I, mm. in the chapter 1 of uh, the book of Job, uh, on, uh, I think it's uh, 1-6, it says it's the first time that the sons of God come before God, right? Okay. Okay. Now, I want you to picture this to give you a little different appreciation of this. Are you prepared? Yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> Uh, John, why are you humming? Is this background music? Or? <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Anyway, um, it's okay. That was a good tune. It works well for the story I'm going to tell. Anyway, but look at one six, and it says, One day the sons of God came, and, you know, Satan came with them. Now, the way we tend to approach that is that they're all coming in, like, maybe a big throne room, and God's there, something like that, okay? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Don't look at it that way. This is a particular Jewish holiday. And what's interesting, this was not written down in the Torah yet. And it's certainly because, remember, and uh, Moses wrote this after Mount Sinai in Exodus, that this day is Rosh Hashanah. Ah, that's the first day. Now, I want you to picture something a little different. Let's suppose you come in front of God and say you're a, a righteous guy, a son of God. And some people told me you are. So what do they know? At any rate... But I'm not disagreeing. Anyway, so, now, but you're here on earth, okay? So this is a particular day of repentance for what you've done wrong to other people. Now, you're coming here, let's say, on earth. I'm just suggesting a different way to look at this. And God's in heaven. So at in heaven, Satan comes there. So the sons of God are coming before God, like maybe you go to church. And most understand that to be the angels, right? The, although there are, there are a couple other traditions that might be the, the, general, the dead, yeah. the dead believers in God have gone before. But well, I, most I, I'm, I'm aware of that, and I know I would agree with you that that's generally what's being uh, pushed. Is it angels pushed? Okay. Yes, I pushed. Yes, but I'm suggesting. What are you saying? Well, I'm saying it says sons of God, so uh, it doesn't say angels. Okay, so, but. Uh, and I tend to stick to kind of what it says, you know, but who am I? <laughs> but uh, anyway, but then on the second day, chapter 2, it says there was another day. And see, 10 days after Rosh Hashanah is Yom Kippur. Now, if they came, let's say, to a, a, a meeting, let's say a church for easy understanding, and they're there, they're here on earth, but they're coming before God for the day of judgment. That's a day of judgment. But in heaven is God. Satan, an angel, he can come too, because the way it's worded, it says, the sons of God came, and it says, and also Satan came. Now, so it's pointing out, if they were truly angels, why would he say, and Satan came too? Is he saying, well, all the good angels came, and then a bad angel came? Or is he actually talking about that I'm attending a certain religious service on earth, but I'm before God on Yom Kippur, let's say, and I'm here on earth, but in heaven, God is there, and I'm appearing before him, but I'm in a different dimension, shall we say, but like in a church. And then Satan goes up there, see. So if you get that, so you got that different dimension level going. And the only reason I'm suggesting that is that's how I put it in my mind to get the picture to work for me. 
Okay. Okay. I'm I'm following. I'm looking up another passage. I, I was also thinking about the how in the Old Testament the word Satan, the what we have translated at least it comes to us as Satan, occurs only in Job one and two, uh, fourteen times, First Chronicles twenty one one and Zechariah three one. Uh, referencing uh, this arch enemy of God, the leader of the demons, that sort of idea. The term Satan appears in the New Testament 36 times. Wow. Uh, the Greek term devil refers to the same person 34 different times. I was just looking in Genesis. Uh, what when the when the looking in Genesis? The, yeah, where where Satan, the serpent, was the shrewdest of the animal. Uh, one day, he asked the woman. And we understand that to be Satan, but it doesn't actually say Satan, does no, it? No, no, so it actually says Nakesh, uh, or we translate it as the word serpent. Okay, so the serpent is the one who evidently is asking the questions there. But we all, we kind of generally tend to believe, don't we? I'm talking about us Gentiles for the moment. Well, well Satan was there. Well, let's and he talk somehow... about them for two moments. Okay, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you go ahead. Well, uh is that understood to be Satan? Yeah, I think that's a fair com- that's a fair comment, sure. Okay. Uh so anyway, we we got this idea. The remarkable thing about the book of Job, it, it, I mean, we started out talking about authorship, we're talking about uh date and timing when it was written, some um you're thinking that Abraham probably wrote it down. Well, I thinking that if Job is a real person, it occurred at the time of Abraham. Oh, the event. Oh, I, I, Abraham. You, but you're thinking that Moses wrote it down. Well, I'm my my inclination and the information I've been exposed to makes me think it probably was Moses, and uh, mm-hmm. but and but he it was a story that took place during the time of Abraham. Okay, so we've been looking into those kind of factors, and the the the, the truth is we we just don't know. We no. uh, we're not absolutely certain about it. No. Okay, so then what? value can it have to us does that does that rob it of its value to us as believers uh does it tell us something important uh you know it it is a very interesting story uh for all the years that i've done the bible live we get far more phone calls far more response far more emails in response to the book of job than any other book in the bible it's it's amazing how it connects a lot of people connect with the life and the experience of Job. His suffering, the loss of his family, the loss of his wealth, and his wrestling and struggling with the issues of faith. And, and of course, the, his friends, quote, uh, friends, who uh, who are there accusing him and, and so on, and how they, they struggle through these different arguments and these different thoughts. <clears throat> so... But so it is a, a book, evidently of great spiritual value <coughs> to a lot of people. Excuse me, um, especially when you understand that it, the the authorship and the date and time is, is so up in the air. And you even opened up with your idea with it, if he was a real person, uh-huh. uh, you know. And, and of course, the idea that well, maybe he's not. Maybe just a story that was told. Right. Um, and I'm wondering, does that rob it of its value? How do how do you know, Jewish uh, scholars and the tradition, it does have it in the canon. It is part of the 
part of the Tanakh. It has it in the canon, and it's shot with <clears throat> rice. And it's from God. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a shot from rice with I canon. I get you. Yeah, I yeah. get it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be serious. Okay. Okay. No, it, it, certainly. It, it is, definitely. Everybody knows it's the oldest written down book, and it's got a story, and I don't think it loses its value. I think it's got a very important value because, obviously, we're told that Job, which comes from Eov, which means like suffering, or this person was the one that suffered. But uh, it shows that we know that Job is righteous. We know that. Now, we all right. Know. Yeah, that's one thing we would say right up front is that we are, if this is a, a sense of drama or theater of a story, uh, we peek behind the curtains in the very first chapters, yeah. and we see what we we know the rest of the story. So we don't have the re, we don't have to read the book in in a sense in the dark, thinking well, what really took place. We see clearly that we see God is there, Job is there. What kind of character Job was? We know the truth, and the fact is that he is a good, godly. Uh, Man, he was a righteous man who it doesn't mean um, I don't think it means sinless and without sin whatsoever perfect, but he's a a righteous human being who longs and follows after God and seeks to follow God and and in that sense I I always think of you know he's a picture of of a believer any believer uh, we've been made righteous in Christ and we're following after the Lord in some way that so it could be in a sense prophetic not only of Israel but in the sense of Israel being God's people. But, okay, so we, we've got all this, we've got that in the background as we read the book. Here's this guy, he loses, and Satan, actually it's Satan who opens the conversation. It isn't uh, It isn't God who goes and talks to Satan or Job, It it's Satan who comes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's God who starts the conversation. Have you seen my servant Job? He, he's bragging, mm-hmm. in a sense, he's boasting about his servant, about this, uh, wow, I've always thought what an honor that God himself would, would say, look at the God, the, my my servant Job. Uh, he's, yeah, uh, with your comment about like sins, that. let's, let's, let's okay. say, because I wanted to say that there's, we all know and we all agree, there's no human that has ever failed to uh, sin. All humans do sin. Except Messiah, we, we do. Well, do you consider him human? Messiah Jesus. Uh-huh. Well, of course. I okay, I just want to know. Uh, but anyway, back to my interesting story. <laughs> um, the uh, But what we got here, it certainly says that uh, in verse 3, God said to Satan, have you taken, uh, I know you probably says to and fro or something like that, mm-hmm. but roaming uh, the earth of my servant Job. He is like no other him on earth, faultless and upright. He avoids sin and maintains his faultlessness. Now, that does not say that before he became mm-hmm. a good guy mm-hmm. that he didn't sin. Right. It simply means that he got past his sin, he asked for forgiveness, he got forgiven for his sin. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have to accept <clears throat> the fact that he was a person that sinned and his stuff prior to his chains of heart. Mm-hmm. And now, so he did that, but now he's a, a new guy. And so he's not doing this because it says he avoids sin. Doesn't mean so. It means he probably did it in the past. True. Yeah. Hmm? So, if he avoids sin, then we he's talking about somebody that understands what God's laws are. Right. Because if you don't know God's laws, you don't know what sin is. So 
And and through the book of Job, there's references to certain things that you and I would identify as being in the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's there. So he had the idea. And we know that Abraham knew God's laws because it says so in chapter 26 of Genesis. Mm -hmm. And that's long before Exodus and the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. So if he's doing this, he's, uh, he's saying, look, he has expiated, he's asked for forgiveness of his sins, and, and now he tries to avoid doing wrong. Is that music or is that John singing? <laughs> it would be more than singing, I guess. It'd have to it have sounded a, like angels. You know? Yes, that would be John. That would be ah, John. that would be John. Well, that is the first segment of our program, and we haven't given out the phone number. If you'd like to chime in and talk to us a little bit about this man named Job and the book of Job, what it means to us, what it you know, we we try to kind of set the table here to get the background and our understanding, but also um, we want to uh, invite you to be a part of the conversation. If there's something about Job and his life that has touched you, that it influences you, what's Job's you, phone number? Do you have yeah, Job's phone 340 number? Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's Job's phone number. Oh, okay. Three four zero nine five eight five. You'd like to give us a call and chime in? We'd love to hear from you. We, for our part, will be right back. Well, Elizabeth and I went to Lex Rest Lube, and our experience was fabulous. We got in and out of there in literally 20 minutes. When we went to work and we had got our oil done before, it could take us two hours. The service was very friendly. You can really trust them. They were super courteous. They vacuumed out the entire front of the car, which was surprising. I didn't very expect nice. to receive that kind of service. And their name is their game. Express Lube is accurate for the name of their store. And with 23 stores, there's an Express Lube near you. Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. I want you to meet my friends at the Laptop Specialist. Pioneers since 1982 in serving the military, business, and personal computing needs of our city. Our ministry depends a lot on our computers. And whether it's repairs, service, upgrades, or even the purchase of a new machine, the James family and their great staff keep our equipment working, freeing us to do what we're called to do. Go to the laptopspecialist.net or call 344-4563. 344-4563 for their two locations. The Laptop Specialist, Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning processes? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. If you're new to San Antonio and want to find a church that fits your needs or just want to learn more about a church in the area, go to the church directory page at kslr.com. That's kslr.com.
This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Wow, that came back quickly, didn't it? We were, we are back. Well, that's we, because we were entertaining each other. That's right. We were. Um, I do want to mention something. So this is the <laughs> oldest book in the Bible, and yes, a lot of people uh-huh. don't realize this. Job, the oldest book in the Bible. Yes, and yet it says, and I've got the verses we can talk about if somebody calls in and wants to know where they are. But it says the Earth is a circle; it's round. It says that the Earth is hanging out in space on nothing. Whoa! It says that the moon or the sun shines, but the Earth Earth, I'm sorry, the moon reflects brightness. So it knew that in the oldest book in the Bible, the earth is round, it's hanging in space on nothing, that the moon doesn't give off light, the sun does, the moon only reflects light. Now, aren't those remarkable things to know in the oldest book in the Bible? Pretty sophisticated scientific, uh, what we know to be scientific facts now, and there it is recorded in this book that is what, 4,000 maybe years old? Well, let's see here, 33. <laughs> at least at least 34 to 3500 years old. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, folks, uh, Jacob had a really funny line as we were discussing. Oh. I was talking to him about uh old and new testaments and we were, before the we were having our, our normal conversation before the broadcast. And he says you don't need to in a, in a sense nowadays frankly after 2000 years they're both pretty old. <laughs> Well, that's right. Everybody says the old and the new, and I'm thinking, hey, what after well, after two thousand years? Come on, it's old. It's old by now, uh, which is which is a really interesting thought. I don't know, not only funny, but maybe I have some truth to it as well. Very, interesting. you know, one of the greatest verses in here that I think, and it's a verse that you always hear people quote in Job, right? You're talking about well, yeah, I'm talking Job. about Job, sure. Okay, your well, favorite I'm book sorry, of the Bible. I didn't mean to segue back to the topic. I so apologize. <laughs> You gotta warn me when you do that. Um, okay, so you know everybody quotes a line about though he slay me, I'll trust in him, right? Uh, yes. But nobody, there's a comma there. Nobody finishes. Where the is rest. that? Well, you're going to find that in chapter thirteen, uh-huh. verse fifteen, sixteen. You though he slay me, yes. Uh, no. So, and I, I know you got like new translation. So I don't know what it says. It may say though he speaks rudely to me, I'll get past it. I don't know what it says. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really trust my versions, do you? No, 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 please. I trust it implicitly. Uh, I expect exactly what it says. Job 13? Yeah, uh, and that's verse 15, 16. Okay. So it says, the traditional is, is though he slay me, I will trust in him. Comma. Because then I will defend my ways before him. Now, let's look at that sentence. That sentence says, look, if he kills me, that's Okay. Because he understands that he's going to heaven. So he gets to heaven. He says, though I slay me, I trust in him. What's the trust about? I'm going to heaven. And the rest of it says, and then I will defend my ways before him. What he's saying is, listen, I am righteous. And if God would kill me, then he'll basically have to face me. And I'll tell God, I didn't do anything wrong. I, I, I did my repentance. I asked for forgiveness. You forgave me. But And that has always been one. And then 16, it says, he is also... And I guess English would be, I guess he's also my salvation. Mm-hmm. So he's no flatterer can come into his presence. In other words, I'm not just going to say what a great guy God is, 
and uh, I will be going to heaven, but I am going to defend my ways. Now, I find that a very interesting sense. Everybody says, though he slay me, I'll trust in him, but they never quote the rest, that I, if, I, if he does that, I'm going to defend myself in front of him. God might kill me, but I have no other hope. In other words, my hope is only in him. Uh, I am going to argue my case with him, but this is what will save me. I am not godless. If I were, I could not stand before him. Is he saying this in response to accusations of these? All of this, I suppose, is in response to what his friends are, his accus- the accusations of his friends and so on, these other perspectives. But that is a, a, a very powerful passage, though he's slaving. Yeah, because that is yeah. really almost almost antithetical to both Jewish and Christian thoughts. Really? Well, sure. God makes judgment. He's always righteous. So why would I have to defend myself? And oh, why I would see. I have the courage to stand and say, God, you, you blew this one? So Job right. is here voicing his desire to argue his case with God himself before well, God. Uh, yeah, I think he, well, he says, I'm going to defend my way. At the I, end of the book, doesn't Job get... Uh, a little bit chastised by by God for for pride, and he says, uh, "You know, I'm in the dust. I bow down. You know, he's he's humbled. Uh, isn't that maybe a little well, bit of a it does? That, uh, but I really take a let's take a look at chapter ten of Job. Uh huh. Okay, I'm there. You have a chapter ten. I do have a chapter ten. Okay. Oh, okay. And, okay, and it has verses and all that. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Look it's at, on page, uh, uh, well, page 901. Oh, excellent. Okay, let's take a look at verse 7. All right. 901. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, 10, 7. Let's Although you know I am not guilty, no one can rescue me from your hands. Uh-huh. So is he talking to God? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I will say to God. Don't simply, you know. Although you know I am guilty... To God, no one can rescue me from your hands. Well, keep going because the you, rest is interesting. You formed me with your hands. You made me, yet now you completely destroy me. Remember that you made me from dust. Will you turn me back to dust so soon? You guided my conception and formed me in the womb. Wow, that's part of the statement. You clothed me with skin and flesh, and you knit my bones and sinews together. You gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care, yet your real motive, your true intent was to watch me, and if I sinned, you would not forgive my guilt. If I am guilty, too bad for me, and even if I am innocent, I can't hold my head high because I am filled with shame and misery. Okay, what's number 12 say? Oh, back to 12. Okay, we passed it. It says, you gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. Is that anywhere close to? Well, actually, the Hebrew actually says, uh, you, showed, you gave me life out of your kindness, and your laws safeguarded me. Mm-hmm. Your laws. This mm-hmm. is a long time before Exodus. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Anyway, so, anyway, but what's fascinating to me is, he's, if you look closely at what he's really saying, he says, look, in verse 8 and 9, he says, look, you molded me, you made me. If I can't understand something you're doing, you can't blame me. You made me what I am. I'm doing the best I can with what you gave me to be made out of. So I understand what I only what you tell me. You can't hold it against me if I'm doing what you made me to be. 
What an interesting. Right. That's a good argument, don't you think? <laughs> well, I'm not a lawyer uh, like you are, but I... Uh, I well, you don't have to be a lawyer. Well, it, it's, it's written in English, and you can just read I it. I know, I know. I I guess so. Um, well, I think it's fascinating because you can't do more than what you were made by God no, to be. right, right. And no. I can't either. I suppose that would be the wild card in that mix is uh, what potential has God given us, in fact, and if what has he shown us of himself? What what level of responsibility do we have uh, as human beings before the judgment seat of God? And well, I suppose... Think, let's we, put that in context. Okay. The first sentence says, you made me what I am, but you sit... Actually, but it says, uh, out of your kindness, you gave me life, but your laws safeguard me. I know yours uses some other word. That's okay. Mm-hmm, That's okay. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is, when you said you can't be more than what you are, no, God really never expected you, I think, to be more than what you are. This is why Job, which is my favorite book, by uh-huh, the way, yeah. and I learned more about God from Job than any other book, for me anyway. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, what he's saying is, look, here, I'm, may I suggest the limit of a human being's free will is simply two choices. You have your choice to be an animal or to be a human being. The difference is, is God's laws. If you follow them, I'm making a decision. I'm talking about getting to heaven, not none of that business. I'm talking about here on earth. If I choose to live as a human being and do right things, have compassion, understanding, help the needy, help the poor, if I choose to do that, that's God's laws. I'm choosing to be something other than an animal. But if I ignore all that, I can, oh, I'll tell you something, I can perform a wedding ceremony for two cocker spaniels, and they will not have ethics and morals when it comes to another dog. But a human being is expected to. <laughs> Don't know what to do with that. <laughs> well, I... Um, <clears throat> that's no, the, no, I... I that's the parameters. <laughs> that's the parameters of your free will. I don't, know, so I don't necessarily see why you throw out the idea of eternity and, and heaven and, you know, eternal relationship with God that because that's part of the whole idea of being human we are not just animals who live and die here on the streets like an animal and it's gone and it's over we are human beings who are designed to know God here experience him follow him love him experience God okay. now and this and on I command forever you, I command you to love God I well, command you. Isn't that what Deuteronomy 6, 5 says? Mm-hmm. In Genesis, I'm sorry, in Matthew does Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and well, strength. Well, yeah. I'll say what Jesus says. In uh-huh. Matthew 22, he says, the, that guy says, hey, so what is the great commandment? And Jesus says, well, you, you, uh, you shall love. Uh-huh. So let me say, I can't command you to love. If I do, it's not love. So there's something else going on here that we're not being attuned to. Well, I know. You can I, command someone sure. to love. Sure. And, and I can go up to any woman on the street and say, hey, I command you to love, you to love me. <laughs> <She at> first <laughs> Have thing, you tried it yet? No, I haven't. But the first thing that's going to happen is she's going to call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> Second thing is going to happen, I'm going to try to explain it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yes, yeah, but my please. point is this. I, love is something that comes. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, I'm going to suggest what love is and why it can be commanded, and why Jesus said it can be commanded. Mm-hmm. Would you like to know my yeah, answer? Yeah, yeah. I knew you would. I could see by the smile on your face. 
Go ahead. Okay. Mm-hmm. What it is is, if you look, Jesus quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. Now, they say in the New Testament, they say, with all your heart, soul, and mind. Uh-huh. Well, uh, that's a Greek thing. That's uh-huh. not what it says. Okay. It says with all your heart, soul, and your might or your resources. Strength, yeah. Okay. Yeah, your strength, whatever. So it's not mind. Greek, okay. Greeks believe you found God with your mind. That's what they did find. That was their religion. Anyway, but back to that. So 6.5 in Deuteronomy says... You shall love God, etc., etc. Well, I can't command. And the Jews have written long segments on this over the centuries. How can you command love? Because if you start looking at the next verses, it gives you what love is. Love is teaching your children uh-huh. right from wrong. Okay. And putting it on the door steps on the doorpost of your house. Uh-huh. Speaking of it when you sit in your house and when you rise, when you walk down the road of God's laws. That is what God said is love, teaching God's laws. That's what Jesus is referring to. Oh, yeah. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Yeah, I mean, well, Jesus no, but that's not that the verse. Well. He's quoting 6.5. I know, but I'm just saying in the context, another place he says he defines love as keeping his commandments, obeying him. Uh, well, and that's generally the same. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah, all right. Sure. Let's go uh, listen to Bob. All okay. Right? Bob, Bob is online. Is on. Something. <laughs> Robert, Bob, I think you're on line one here. I hope this is you. Are you with me now? Let me see if I've got Bob on the line or not. Hello, Bob. Bob are you there? Are you there, Bob? Evidently. Uh, well, John's oh, gonna, John's going to push some buttons. Oh, no, John's going to intervene and save uh, John and save Bob. Something up there is not on. Bob, are you there? No, he's not there yet. Uh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Thank you, John. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. John, oh, wow. Okay. You are on wow, the air. Okay. My sprint is working well. Okay. Uh, hey, I, I, I was stimulated to call in when uh, Jacob began to speak about um, the... Um, we, are we going to be a man or are we going to be an animal? Uh-huh. And I was wondering if any of the sages in... in uh, the writings, uh, the, the fathers in um, the Judaism side, uh, if they had anything, any discussion, because we have this Torah rabbi, Yeshua, he comes up and he starts referring to the Almighty, the El Elyon, or, or uh, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. Uh, he starts referring to him as the father, and if you're a man, you're going to have to have a father, and... Uh, and uh, he begins to refer to the Almighty as the Father. And uh, I, I was wondering if any of the sages had also have that in common. Hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, in other words, we have to be like him. Our, our challenge is to be like him. And, and uh, Torah teaches us to be like him. And, and we have to do it, like you said, we have to love it very intensely. Love is an intense word, but then it's made more intense by the uh, the term mayot, which means you you you're very much in love with him, as it's uh, with all your mind, all your heart, all your heart, all your all, I mean, all your Strength. heart, all your soul, mm-hmm. all, and all your everything uh, mayot, and so you love with everything you have, and <laughs> in order to become like him, and uh, but I just wondered if any of the sages had any of that. Uh, kind of a concept, because it's almost like Jacob is bringing that concept in, but he's not really taking it to the level of, say, our Father who is in heaven. Yeah. Uh, 
How does that relate to the concept of the fatherhood of God? Let's see what he has to say about it. Yeah, let's see what he has to say. <laughs> okay. Hello, Bob. How Good are question, you? Bob. Yeah. Bob, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I, I, I went to Hebrew class today, and uh, uh, over at Baruch Hashem, we have a two-hour introductory class. And then uh, I did a little writing tonight, and uh, and then I, then I stopped my writing so I could listen to the show. And, and I also felt... That proves that, that you got good taste. <laughs> I, can, I also felt, after listening to the show last week, I, I, is her name Bernadette? Or, yeah. Yes. I felt that we, Bernadette and I should do the follow-up show from at 10.30 to 12, and I, I don't know if I would enjoy doing it, but I would enjoy listening to it. Yes, I, I, I too was fascinated with Bernadette's contribution. I, I, I felt like the time, the, the questions she brought up, the perspective, the comprom- the uh, her comments that she contributed to the show were. I was really intrigued. I, I enjoyed very much hearing from her, and of course, I'm I'm enjoying your question here that I, as it relates to uh-huh. the idea of. of I, I, I wrote you with that question. It was about a year ago when the Supreme Court came down with that ruling about gay marriage, and I said, you know, it's too bad that the Torah has been thrown away, because now all of a sudden the Christians turn back to Leviticus 18. Yeah. What, what, about, what about all the rest of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and, something. Bernadette asked that same question. Go ahead, Okay, Jacob. what is it now, Bob? I want to make sure I understand. Is it that you're saying uh, that uh, the father isn't mentioned by the sages? Well, the idea of the 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 that that we're yeah. you are that we're an animal or the or man or human. Well, uh, if we are human uh, with a man, with the it implies a fatherhood. It implies. And so he's thinking, is that part of the concept? Yeah, well, yeah. That, yeah. I'm wondering if, 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 if Yeshua was like the first one to come uh, up with this, oh. or, and if the sages kind of get on board with it, or uh, if the well, sages also have the in concept. Exodus, it says, Israel is my firstborn, and yes. I have a father. And then it mm-hmm. also says that um, he tells Pharaoh, you, uh, if you don't let my first, you kill my firstborn, it'll be your firstborn that dies. So the concept, now I will tell you, in the Hebrew, as far as I know, uh, and I think I'm pretty safe on this, it never really says, it certainly does not use the word daddy. And, uh, Abba, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. But it will, uh, but I will tell you, in the Talmud, which is basically a collection of commentary, uh, it is all over in there, it uses the word Abba. So that is there. And, no. I, and every time I hear that, I always think it, Generally, people are not familiar with those other writings. Uh-huh. But I've I've heard uh-huh. that there's a parallel between the so-called Lord's Prayer and in Judaism. There's a very similar prayer. I've seen this written down, but I, I really didn't commit it to I memory. Used to, or I don't have it anymore. I used to have a copy of it. That prayer existed, to my knowledge, eight hundred thousand years before uh, Jesus Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And you're a hundred percent right, and I don't know what I've done with my copy. Me too. I I was reading somebody else's copy, and I said I need to get one of these, and I never did. Well, that does fall in line with something that uh, that we've often mentioned here, and uh, that a lot of Gentile believers, and you know, you're the speaker here included, that uh, I I've only discovered through the years now of uh, hosting the Bible Live and reading through the Bible every year, and so on. And I began to realize uh, somewhere in that mix, after maybe four or five years, it dawned on me, you know, Jesus 
Jesus is not saying very much at all original. Almost everything that he says has its roots and has its uh, genesis, uh, well, pardon the pun there, I guess, but has its uh, source out of the Hebrew Scriptures, out of the Tanakh. Almost everything, and I, I can't think of very much any concepts or truths or sometimes even the very language itself. Uh, he's speaking entirely. Uh, when you squeeze Jesus, out came the Scriptures, out came the, the, the Tanakh. He even quotes from Daniel, which some people kind of criticize sometimes, and they say, well, it was kind of forged uh, when it kind of predicts the future, but maybe yeah. predicts the future from the from in, from in behind it, from in front of it, or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and but uh, he does quote from it, uh, and it, lending legitimacy to to uh, the Book of Daniel. Right. I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you men go and, and tell you wait, how much. Wait, I, I want to ask program. you a question, Bob. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Real quick. Uh, did you know that in the book of Job, I mentioned it previously, that it says the earth is a circle or round? And did you know it says it's hanging yeah. out in space on nothing? Yes. And, and uh, those, those are very stimulating passages and they're faith-building uh, passages. And I don't really think that the, the Hindu books or the, the uh, Buddhist books or, or the Arab books, uh, uh, shall we say the Quran? Or, or, or the uh, Shinto, or, or, or the Greeks. I don't think they quite uh, can hang their hat on that. Uh, that it's a, has such solid science. Yeah, I just wondered if you're aware of that because that, to me, is just revelatory. That here it is in the oldest book of the Bible, and it says it. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, yeah, I've heard it before. Thank you very much, Bob, Thank for you, calling Bob. in. We appreciate your call. And we've got Thomas on the line. Let's go visit with him now. Thomas, thank you for calling in as well and being a part of the program. I'm guessing you have some thoughts or some commentary about the, the book of Job or maybe something uh, that, maybe some heresy that Jacob has uttered here <laughs> in the first segment. How are you doing, Thomas? Doing good, sir. Good to talk with you, pal. What's going on? What are you thinking? Well, uh, you were talking about love and the love that of, I guess a person has to give God. He has to, he has a choice to become what God wants him to become or you were talking something like that. Yeah, we said something, but Jacob was making, he made the statement that you can't command someone to love you. Now, now I, I, this this idea of commanding is is an interesting thing, in my personal belief that all of the commands of God, in Messiah in Christ are converted into promises. In other words, they that is why we've come and given our lives to Christ so that so that He's going to do a work within us so that our lives begin to conform to God's laws. Do we, we, do, love do we really do we really give our lives to Christ? We surrender our or hearts. Has God already? Or has God already? chosen us from the foundation of the world, like uh, Revelation seventeen eight says. I think I would say both are true. <laughs> I don't have any problem with both things being true at the same time. Uh, obviously, our there is a sense of our will being involved, uh, but we only make our decision in the context of God's sovereignty. So, in other words, our will is an absolute. Yes. It, we, we only... We can only love him because he first loved us. We can only choose him because he's given us the opportunity and the power to choose him, the ability. Well, once he chooses us, can we lose what we have, according to the Bible? 
Well, part of our coming to Christ is that we die to ourselves. Uh, in other words, we we give up on being number one and looking at we we say, okay, God, you're going to be number one. Uh, I, I honor you. I worship you. I love you. You are my highest part. Another that's part of what we say. I die daily. Paul said, or uh, Jesus said, we have to die, willing to die to ourselves. Yeah, but can we lose if God has chosen us already? When you go to Romans chapter nine, verse eleven through sixteen, okay, I think it explains who's in charge of of the, whatever choice we think we have. Yeah, I, I don't. You're talking about this time honored conflict, seeming conflict, at least for us creatures living in time and space. A lot of people see a conflict between the idea of God's sovereignty, which is absolute and 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 constant, and in in our free will that we exercise. In the, in other words, we exercise a free will. We do really make a decision, each of us. But 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 we we respond. We are responders. Ours we're not the first decision made. We respond to his initiative. Uh, than his work. And so uh, we love him because he first loved us and so on and so on. Yeah, so I don't have I th- any problem. Thomas, Ooh, we're looking in time and space. Yeah, but if Tom, I think Thomas is asking you the question, can you lose what he picked? Like salvation, can you lose it? Is that what you're asking, Thomas? So yes, if he yes. has chosen you. Only if you, read, if you read Romans chapter 9, 11 through 16, with five verses, to me this is what, the choice we have, the choice that God gives us. And uh, even though it's not taught in churches like that, they're afraid to teach uh, predestination or preselection, whatever you want to call well, it. Okay. Uh, we, we've got just a little time, and the music is going to come here in a second. We're going to interrupt us. But I don't mind talking about that concept. Uh, we might not uh, totally agree on it, but I can t- see uh, uh, predestination is only uh, we see it in Ephesians. Uh, the only time the actual word predestination is used is that we are predestined as God's children to be conformed to the image of Messiah. In other words, that is a predestination is spoken in the sense of sanctification. We if once we are God's people. It is predestined that we are be we are going to be conform, transformed and changed to be like Christ. Now, the the I think well, more the well, concept. Can you read? Can you read chapter nine over the radio and I listen? Okay, nine uh, eleven through sixteen. I'm there. You get a chance. We'll look at it when we come back from this break. All right. We'll yes, do sir. it for I'll sure. I'll be listening. Thank you very much for calling, being a part of the program. We appreciate it. Uh, it's all very interesting. It's all about. The book, this book of books, old and the new book, testament. The book, the book, boss. We'll be back in just a little bit. Don't go away. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. This is The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 
All right, we are back. Thank you for joining us. Uh, <clears throat> some heavy uh, theological thoughts being uh, handled and passed around this evening. Called in from Bob. Called in. Uh, our, who called in? Thomas. With Thomas. Yeah, I'm sorry. Name went out of my brain there. But uh, talking about this passage from the book of Romans, where clearly God talks about Jacob and Esau, and Paul is making the point here that that uh, of God's sovereignty. God is first. He acts first. We are responders. Uh, God has determined any any in the life of Jacob and Esau. He told um, Rebecca, the mother, even before they were born, that the 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 older will serve uh, the the younger would the, the older will serve the younger, and so on. And so there were decisions made uh, uh, and understood and, and communicated to uh, her about what was going to happen and how this was going to work out. <clears throat> I'm not sure that uh, I don't know, Jacob. Did you have a thought about that? I, I was going to respond well, as best I could. Well, it was uh, it, it was certainly revealed to Rebecca, but it was based. If when you go back and read those verses, it's based on it's telling what's going to happen because of the you might say the free will choices of Esau. It wasn't that he hated the person; he hated his deeds. Yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, I asked you during the break, because I was talking about Deuteronomy 6.5, and I said, isn't there a chapter in the New Testament? Talk, it's called the love chapter. Uh-huh. And Paul says, uh, well, love First is... 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, yeah. and, and, and if, you, if you want to look at a couple and read it, that's fine. But it says, do this, do this, love is kind, love is gentle, those kind of things. Mm. So it's the way I read it, is it's not commanding emotions, no. it's commanding deeds. Mm-hmm. How, what you do. And that's really what Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6 or 6, 5 and 6, 6 is all about, is what you do is love. In fact, what's fascinating to me is, generally speaking, in the Jewish world, because the Torah for the Jews, and I would hope for many people, is about how you live your life in this world. It's not about getting to heaven, just about how you should live in this world. Now, and so that becomes uh, the idea of deeds, you might say deeds. And in the Christian world, they more have an idea of a creed. So it's creed versus deed. And so... Jews Jews really don't have what you might call as a creed, unless you'd call it uh, what Jesus is referring to in six four six five of, you know, you, uh, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, and listen, Israel, the Lord is one God, the Lord is our God. In love, in the sense of obeying God, obeying, choosing yeah. to obey and honor yeah, so, and follow after and God's commands. And even in the New yeah. Testament, when I read that love chapter, <clears throat> yeah. I look about what you do is considered love. Yeah. Not how you feel. Well, Jesus says that very various times in various ways. If you love me, you'll keep my commands, yes, you know, commandments, yes. and so on. Uh, I, I I don't think there's a conflict there. I'm not sure. I don't believe there is. Uh, the the I, but I'm trying to come back to Thomas' perspective there. I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure quite the point. That he makes, and I, I somehow I don't want to characterize his thoughts, but sometimes when um, when folks are talking about the sovereignty of God and the pre uh, the the predestination or the idea of uh, God's choosing from before, you know that God has chosen us 
we did not choose him, but he chose us, and so on. Uh, that in some ways you sometimes we're forced to try to choose between is God sovereign? In other words, has God already determined clearly, perfectly who is going to be his and who is going to be not his, who is going to be part of the people of God and who is not going to be part of the people of God. Uh, and I suppose this is more of a Christian concept than Jewish concept. Y'all don't, y'all don't wrestle with that a lot. Well, the Jews that do have what you might refer to. In fact, I've often wondered, quite frankly, I've read that about the predestination mm-hmm, business. Mm-hmm. I have wondered if the guy is not actually referring to the Jewish concept of people going to heaven. And, I, and I'm not saying yeah, it is, yeah. but I am saying I have wondered that because the Jews do have the concept that you are predestined. From where you come, you shall return. And that would be hmm, perhaps predestination. I well, I, I, I kind of pointed out that the concept, like predestination itself, the very word, I think is reserved, not a concept of salvation. It's a concept of sanctification that that as the people of God, as believers— once we have been born again, come into the family of God, that we are predestined, if you look in that passage in Ephesians, that it's in that context, he says, that we are then predestined to be conformed to the, we're going to be made perfect. God is going to do in his people, he is going to transform us and change us to to be able to truly love him, to be able to live uh, sinless lives, we'll take out the old nature, this new nature, these new inclinations, righteous and holy um, disposition and desires that will that will one day be a part of our. I mean, as we are being perfected in Christ, uh, that's what glory in heaven will be all about. Is there'll be no more inclination to selfishness and sin. We'll have the new nature. So predestination was talking about that transformation process of the people of God, not who is going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. Now, the, but there is a, the concept there is that God has chosen us and, and you do not choose me, but I've chose you and so on and so on. But it, my solution has been to th- say, th- yes, the sovereignty of God is a fact. God is sovereign. And every person that goes to heaven, there'll be no doubt about the fact that God initiated, God moved, God made it happen. It's It's about him. He's chosen us. And we will see his sovereignty will be clearly reflected. Everybody goes to hell. Uh, God's sovereignty will be if we believe in hell. And, and of course, I understand y'all don't have that concept. But everyone who is punished or sometimes somehow goes into eternity, eternal um, separation from God, that too will be of God. God has predetermined that. He's placed heaven and hell together. Both will honor him, and heaven will be honored, his love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness. Well, let's make a concrete application from Thomas's question. Let me finish the thought. In, in oh, hell, okay. <laughs> in hell God's will, God will be glorified for his holiness, uh-huh. his righteousness, uh-huh. his justice, uh-huh. as, as he judged wickedness and evil and selfishness. Okay, okay. so those are going to happen, and, and that's I God's sovereignty. And I, I do think that uh, that Jesus came to the... Uh, Gentile world to be Messiah, to graft, it does say in Ephesians, and it's in chapter 2, that uh, the other nations were strangers to God without hope. But now they're in the commonwealth of Israel. So it does say that. That concept is definitely, definitely there. Without doubt, in many forms. But let's uh, take the exact 
lesson that Thomas is citing, and he's citing, he's t- talking about Jacob, Jacob and, Esau. and Esau. Now, then let, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Okay. Is Esau, in Thomas's or your opinion, is he in heaven? Because he's citing that verse as though God didn't like Esau, yeah. so we are to assume if we go back it's and read an that. It's an interesting thought, because yeah. we're not talking here about salvation, we're talking about God's use of the, in them yeah, so in if that's true, then we have to take the concept, if we're going to apply it as Thomas desires, and I'm not arguing with yeah, Thomas. Yeah, I know you're not. We're but talk, if I go back and look it. at those particular verses, I have to come, if Thomas is right, then Esau didn't make it, and I do not believe that's what that's talking about. So it's not talking here about salvation. of. He's talking about the how they fit into his plan for his people. God Is that right? Well, well, yeah. When you go back and you look at those verses about Rebecca and God speaking, uh-huh. so we know Jacob, this is, makes these people cringe, but Jacob is a righteous guy. Jacob did nothing wrong. He's a good guy. He's a righteous guy. And we know that because God told Rebecca, this is how it's go, the program's going to be. Now, what God is saying is he's given this early prophecy to Rebecca, and he's saying, look, if you look closely, even at the language, he's saying, at the end this is how this ends up and that's because i already am telling you what the end is going to be because of the deeds in this physical world that esau did and i hated esau's deeds Mm -hmm. not him as a baby Mm -hmm. what kind of a god would that be Mm -hmm. anyway so it's not talking about that so you have to go back and you have to actually read it when it's making references because you know when you go back and you look at things in the New Testament, you're looking at things that got translated from two or three different languages, and some. And really, translation is nothing more than a commentary on what it really says. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, he's making Jesus. You catch my drift, Jacob and Esau. Well, let's go back and look. And if that's correct, what Thomas is asserting, then we have to assume that Esau didn't make it to heaven, but Jacob did, and that's not what the verses are saying back then. It's not talking about their salvation, their personal no, salvation. No. He's, He's talking, talking about, about how the they deeds. would fit into the right. the redemptive plan, and yeah. that's God, who's going to be the uh, the son of of of, of uh, like mm, what you, who's going to carry forward through which one is going to be the promise of Messiah coming, the the son of promise, yeah. right? I, I guess that's. I'm hoping that's what you're saying. Is that? Well, you're jumping way ahead too. I'm just talking. Jacob I, becomes I, the yeah. one who's going to carry forward the lineage. Yeah, there is whom, there is no doubt. I know. I know he gets one. a lot of grief about the so some of your birthright that kind yeah, of yeah. business. Mm-hmm. But that's not. Let, let me okay. just give us something. Uh, look, what he's doing is making a pot of. Uh, they say sometimes porridge, but mm-hmm. it's lentils, it's beans. Right. Traditionally, that's a Jewish dish of mourning. So we have to say, he's making a dish of mourning. Well, who in the world just died? Abraham. Abraham. His parents, uh, Rebecca and uh, Isaac, had just lost Abraham, and it's his grandfather. His grandfather. He's taking care. He's showing love. Because he's taking care of making him a nice dinner and consoling them. Esau couldn't have cared less. So he comes in and he says, hey, give me uh, some of that red stuff, you know, the beans. And he says, well, you know, you care so little. Well, sure. Why do you don't care about anything about this? So, yeah. So you give up your claim, whatever it is. And he says, sure. Jacob did nothing wrong. God told Rebekah from the beginning what Esau's deeds would be. So when you go back and look at that language, it's saying, look, I'm telling you, Rebekah, this is the way it's going to go. So it doesn't surprise you. 
it's all going to happen because I know everything. And this is the way it's going to go. So we're going to dislike, I'm going to hate the deeds of Esau. Uh-huh. But it's not talking about salvation. And when you go back and you read this thing in Romans, it's not talking about going to I think heaven. Paul is actually making the same point that you're talking about. Uh, Paul, Paul is one. Well, and again, what I'm saying is that both concepts are true. God is truly sovereign, and, and everybody who goes to heaven, everybody who goes to hell, it'll be because God created those two options, and everybody that goes to one or the other is going to be there by God's sovereign judgment. There is not a third alternative. I'm going to ignore God or disobey God, and I don't care about God, and I'm still going to go on to glory. I'm going to go on to ecstasy and to joy and delight forever. No, that's not an option. We choose God, choose goodness, choose you know, joy, choose delight at his right hands there, pleasures forevermore. We go to be with him forever. Or we reject God and we go to eternal judgment, whatever it might be like. Some people think it's annihilation, you cease to exist. Other you people know, think I it's got a perfect judgment. verse in Job to, to illustrate what you're saying. Okay, well, let's you, go back to Job, right? Yeah, you what know, a concept. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, but I was, what I was going to say is that, yes, there's no doubt God is sovereign. That's not. On the other hand, within his sovereignty, he has given options. There are still choices that we make in the mix that we are a part, that we do actually uh, respond to God's love and to his uh, message of hope and forgiveness and so on, or we can reject it. Either the decision we make is part of what he has allowed us. Those are the options he's given us. We're not given, we don't get the third option where we can choose to ignore him and go on to eternal bliss. That's not our option. So both sovereignty, sovereignty is absolute whereas our free will is limited within the context of the choices that God gives us. That I hope that makes sense to somebody out there, but go ahead and... Okay. Uh, <laughs> I would like to go to Job, and I think we can illustrate something. Good. Let's try it. Actually, this is one of... Actually, probably of my favorite book, Job. This is probably my favorite verse. And, I, and it really... 1922, right? Yes, sir. I tipped you off. <laughs> Okay. Now, well, mine is 1925, right behind it. So. Well, yeah, but no, I'm going to tie those together, and I don't know how you're going to feel about that. <laughs> okay. Well. Okay. Now, in 22, it says, why do you pursue me as God does? Did you say pursue or persecute? I'm curious. In your... uh, well, actually, the Hebrew is pursue. Okay. But, but pers- persecute is just fine. Uh, okay. Okay. So why do you persecute me as God does? Aren't you satisfied with my flesh? Now, what he's saying is, look, my body, look what's happened to me. My body's a wreck. Look all this bad stuff. My body's rotting on my frame. Mm-hmm. And you guys are still pursuing me? What is it that more do you want to be done to me? Have mercy on me and my friends, he said. Have mercy. Well, yeah, what he's saying is, you're trying to destroy my soul. Sort mm-hmm. of like walking into mm-hmm. a hospital. And you see you got a friend that's been in a terrible car accident. And you say to him, oh, my gosh, you look terrible. You know, I hear you're probably not going to walk again. And you're trying to destroy not just his body. His body's already destroyed. But now you're destroying his spirit. Yeah, yeah. You're, now, yeah. let's go one further. You look terrible. Yeah. So uh, so he says, well, why do you pursue Well, that's that basically aren't what you, his friends were doing to him, aren't right? Aren't you yeah. satisfied with my, my body, what's happened to me? So something else you're wanting? You pursue me like your God? Anyway, now, then, of course, it says uh, in uh, 23, as if my words are written down, if they were inscribed in a book, let them be engraved. Oh, that my words were written yeah, down. Yeah, I'm trying to get down to the verse you like. I know. And in 25, <clears throat> I know my Redeemer lives and that he will be the last 
to exist on earth. Now, put that in context with 22. He's okay. saying, look, you guys are pursuing me like you're God. You want to destroy my spirit. You're not satisfied with just my body, what's happened to me in my life. You want to do something else. You want to destroy my spirit. But I know. But as for me. Now, that's your opinion. That's your thought. That's what you're trying to do. But then he says, but as for me. As for me, you're not God. God is my Redeemer. I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. Now, that's a very advanced concept. I mean, for this earliest book in the Bible, we're talking about. Life after death, we're talking about resurrection. Well, the Jews, in my body, well, he says. Actually, the Jews, the Egyptians, everybody had the concept of life after death. That's a really a misnomer to think they didn't. They did. It's just what's happened with different religions but what is he says is how yet, you think you get there. He says, in my body, I will see God. And Not, after my skin, they did this damage from my flesh. I will see God. So... The way I take this is he's saying, look, you guys are pursuing me like God. You're trying to destroy my spirit. But you can't do that because I will see God and I'll see him from my flesh. So he certainly is saying it. But I have been so I've always that 22 has always caught my attention so much because these guys are supposed to be his friends. And instead, they're running him down. They're destroying. A, they're kicking a person that's down. And you know, and if I might say this, uh, you know, I know that we've been we've had another incident with all those cops killed in uh, Louisiana mm-hmm. today. You know, look here. Here's something that's very difficult to say, but the truth is, it's sort of like this. It's almost like this verse. Um, we know that the Middle East, not necessarily Israel, because they're really a democracy, but all these other Islamic countries, they are in terrible, terrible turmoil. They're fighting, they're killing, they're doing all these horrible things. And suddenly, and I, I'm going to give President Obama his respect because he deserves respect as president. But if I was talking to him, I would say, why did you bring all that into this country? Because all we live with now, everything we talk about, everything we do, is the conflict that the Muslims create. And San all that Bernardino, was in the Middle East. Dallas, Yeah, Louisiana. but it was all in the Middle East. And now it's been imported here. And my question would be, why? Why did you import this? We didn't need to have our lives live. Now we're all living with the same problems they got over there. And it wouldn't have happened had it not been imported. Now, I'm not denigrating President Obama. He's president. He gets the respect he deserves. But I am asking the question, why? Why? Because all, it's terrible stuff over there all the time among, in the Islamic countries. And now it's importing it here. President and, Obama, if you are listening, our phone number is uh, area code 210-340-9585. Yeah, and, I'm, but I, and true, stop and think about it. Look what we all talk about now. We're living that horrible nightmare from the Islamic countries in the Middle East. Over and we wouldn't and be doing again, it yeah. if it wasn't imported. Now, we all have our own economic troubles, our own problems in america that's our body but this verse says why are persecuting me like god is there something else you want to destroy we all have our economic problems we all have to have to make a living have a home that's our body if you will but something else is going on something has been imported here like somebody else is trying to kill something else among us like maybe our spirit wow Wow, where did that come from, Jacob? That was interesting. Uh, an interesting concept. And I, 
I, I, I don't. I, I, I follow you, and I agree. I think there is more going on than just economic questions. I, uh, the, it's not just about the economy, stupid. It's not just about even immigration. It's not all these things. There is a spiritual dimension, and our no doubt about it, we are as a nation the biggest struggle and the biggest crisis we're facing is a crisis of the soul. I mean, our it, it's there are moral questions. There, are, who are we as a people? Are we going to acknowledge the true and living God? Are we going to be faithful are we, in our laws and in the way we? That's why I, I remember talking to Harold maybe a week or two ago, and this idea that well, I'm a Democrat, and I'm just going to vote Democrat no matter what, you know. And I'm saying, no, you don't. We make our decisions. We exert our influence as far as the nation, as God's people at least. We're most uh, interested in exerting an influence that would call us back into into peace with God's laws and who God is, his character. And and, and frankly, that wouldn't be just knee-jerk reaction pulling either a D or an R. Uh, It's going to be us praying and thinking about the issues and and making our decision based on God's laws and what would honor him and what you know, would I know next he'll bring week, our nation back into conformity. With, I, I, well, I know next week you're going to finish the last couple chapters mm-hmm. of Job, so I'm a little reluctant to get into it, but I will tell you, these three guys uh, are all from Islamic countries that ended up, they weren't Islam at that time, but they actually became what today is Islam. But in the end of the book of Job... You're talking about the three friends of the Job. The three so-called friends. You know, uh-huh. Friends like that, as they say, who needs enemies. But these guys are really from Esau and two or three other places. That's who they are. Now, what's interesting to me, and I'll get into more detail, I hope, next week. Uh But what's interesting is God appears, and he says to those three guys that have added things, he says, listen, you're saying things about me I've never said. You made those things up. Now, you three from those nations, go ask Job to pray for you. Now, I've often found that so fascinating because he, God himself is saying, you guys said things about me that's not true. One of the major stories is they say Job's a sinner. The other one is, hey, you just got to understand there are things bigger than you. You don't appreciate stuff. And basically the third argument is is that, you know, um, everything works together just for good, you know, and you just got to accept all that. And God shows up at the end of the book of Job and he says, I didn't say those things. You've added your stuff to my stuff. Now, you guys repent and go ask Job to pray for you, which tells me that Job was right. There might be an element of truth in what each of them said. There might be an element, an angle, a perspective, but none of them reflect the whole story, the full picture. And I guess that's, uh, uh, in a sense, what I was trying to say to Thomas, too, as well, is that we can take a verse, and it has an element of truth in it that that Paul is trying to teach there in Romans, uh, but it isn't, you know, if fatalism that God has made everything decided and and we don't have any real choice in it. And so just whatever happens, happens. And it, it, whatever God says is going to happen anyway. It, it It isn't that. In other words, there's an element of truth in perspective to what was said. And we have to take what is said in its context, what it was intended to say at that moment, like, as you said about Jacob and Esau what God was trying to communicate in that moment, not expand it and make it a statement about their eternal destiny and whether they're saved or not, are going to be in heaven or hell and so on. That wasn't the purpose exactly. of the statement. Well, it's an important concept for biblical uh, can, can I say my statement? Certainly. I want to start saying at the end of each show, if I can squeeze it in, 
Everybody knows what they'd like in a parent, so go be that person you would like to have as a parent. God bless. And it's brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.